0: If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, or you can find the text in the bulletin. Today, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Before I read our passage, let me pray and ask for the Lord's help. Gracious God, you have told us that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of joint and marrow, of soul and spirit, and discerning the intentions of our heart. Lord, help us to see truths in your word. Sanctify us in the truth, for your word is truth. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what? Have you ever asked that question or thought it in relation to something maybe? You're learning in school or something that someone is telling you. Growing up, I was always pretty good at math. I really enjoyed the subject, and it just kind of clicked with my brain. My senior year of high school, I took AP Calculus. I don't know, a little bit of a nerd, and that's okay. I learned various things, including derivatives and integrals. I remember thinking in that class, well, what difference does this make? When am I going to use this? Well, at the time, I thought I was going to be a high school math teacher and maybe coach baseball, so I thought, well, maybe I'll teach calculus one time. I'll use it then. And I know that engineers use derivatives and integrals, but when the Lord called me into vocational ministry while I was in college, I really began to ask the so what question about calculus. You know, and they have their value, these different functions, but I can honestly say that since college, I have never once solved an integral or a derivative. Maybe there are certain things in life that you've learned that you've thought the same thing. Maybe it's math or poetry or geography. Yet, if you're a teacher, you know that everything that is taught, there should be some kind of reason for it. And the answer to the so what question is important. There's a reason why we learn certain things. In the passage before us, the Apostle Paul answers the so what question. If you aren't familiar with the structure of Romans, the first 11 chapters are packed full of theology. It's all about what we believe as Christians. And we can imagine the first readers of Romans getting this letter and getting to the end of Chapter 11, and thinking, wow, this is a lot, but what impact does this have on me as a blacksmith or as whatever profession they might be? And here in verses 1 and 2, Paul begins a several chapter answer to the so what question. In our passage, Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, tells us that the first 11 chapters of the book impact how we live. He calls the Christians in Rome to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for you and me. We are called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And I want to see how this passage answers two questions for us. First, what is a living sacrifice? And secondly, how do we offer a living sacrifice? So first, what is a living sacrifice? Paul begins verse 1 by declaring, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. You and I might be tempted, if we're not careful, to skip over certain words, and one of those is the word therefore. And maybe you've heard this saying before, but I think it bears repeating. Whenever you come to a therefore in Scripture, you should ask, what is it there for? In other other words, why is that word there? For you see, a therefore in Scripture always connects what is being said and what's coming to what has come before it. So what is Paul connecting verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 to? It's possible he's going back to the end of chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. That great doxology, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his ways. But it seems more likely that Paul has in mind the entirety of those first 11 chapters. Why? Well, those chapters are all about the gospel. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then Paul goes on to show that everyone is a sinner in need of a Savior. After that, he lays out salvation, talking about things like justification, that we've been declared right with God, sanctification, that process of becoming more like Christ, and glorification, how one day we will be with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Friends, chapters 1 through 11 are all about the gospel, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that is found in him alone. And chapters 12 through 16 are no different. They're about the gospel as well. They just shift in emphasis. Chapters 1 through 11 are the indicative side of the gospel. They declare to us what God has done. Chapters 12 through 16 are the imperative side of the gospel. They're the commands of what we are to do in light of what Christ has already done for us. In other words, gospel indicatives Fuel gospel imperatives. Paul reinforces this idea by saying, by the mercies of God. In other words, because of God's mercy, in view of that, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Friends, we must keep in mind that what Paul is saying here is not do this and God will love you. This is not some legalistic action. No, rather, it is response heartfelt love to what God has done the first reading today was exodus 20 verses 1 through 21 where we find the 10 commandments but remember how it begins God says I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery the 10 commandments are not 10 ways to earn God's love but 10 ways to respond to God's love for God had already saved his people and the same is true for us And the call to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice is not to do it in order to make God love us, but in response to his love. So what does offering our bodies as a living sacrifice look like? Well, we must remember that sacrifices have always been a vital part of worship for God's people. God sacrificed an animal to cover the sins of Adam and Eve in the garden. Abraham offered sacrifices for himself and his family. The priests offered sacrifices night and day in the tabernacle and then in the temple. Now, when you and I hear the word sacrifice today, we think a little bit differently. We tend to think of it as something we give up. I sacrifice sweets for the sake of my diet, or I sacrifice my desire for this afternoon for the sake of my family, and what they want to do. But sacrifice in the Bible is not so much about giving up something, but rather it's an expression of something. It's an expression of worship. In order to sacrifice an animal in the Old Testament, the priest would have to first kill the animal. But Paul here tells us that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. In light of the coming of Christ, we no longer sacrifice animals to God. And praise be to God, because I'm thankful that's not how we worship today. Rather, we offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. But this is no less important. It is a big deal to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. When Paul says this, he doesn't just mean our physical bodies. It's certainly not less than our physical bodies, but surely it's more. We are commanded to offer ourselves to God, all of us, not just our singing once a week, not just a couple hours on Sunday morning, not just our thoughts, no, everything. God calls us to offer it all to Him. Perhaps you've heard the song that sometimes played on Christian radio, the Stand by Hillsong, But if you're not familiar with it, the verses talk about the actions of God, including creation and redemption. And then the chorus goes like this. So what can I say and what can I do but offer this heart, O God, completely to you? Heart, in this sense, is the whole person. All that we are, all that we have, giving it back to God. Friends, we're called to offer ourselves completely to the Lord in light of who He is and what He's done. And Paul tells us when we do this, it's holy and acceptable to God. It's pleasing to Him. Paul ends verse 1 by stating, this is your spiritual worship. If you have your Bible, look with me at the end of verse 1. Do you see a little number after spiritual worship? In my Bible, it's the number 4. And dropping down to the footnotes number four says or rational service the issue is that when you go from one language to another it's hard to carry the whole sense of a word and spiritual can also be translated rational or logical and this word it carries both senses and so we can trust our bibles even when we find different words in different translations but i think what paul is getting at here is that when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, it is a logical response to what God has done. In other words, the only rational or only logical thing to do in light of what God has done is to give ourselves completely to Christ. Nothing else even makes sense. And while Paul can say this, a lost and unbelieving world does not get this at all. Perhaps you've heard the name R.C. Sproul. If you aren't familiar with him, he is a famous Presbyterian minister who died back in 2017. What you may not know about Sproul is what his life was like before he was called into pastoral ministry. His grandfather was R.C. Sproul, and his father was R.C. Sproul Jr., making the one that we know R.C. Sproul III. R.C. III's father died shortly before he decided to go to seminary. His dad was the president of a large corporate bankruptcy firm named R.C. Sproul & Sons. The Sproul that we know was heir to that very prosperous company. And all he had to do was get his CPA license, and the company was his. Sproul noted that when he announced he was going into pastoral ministry, many attorneys had bombarded him with one message. Are you out of your mind? You are being handed a company that guarantees you prosperity. And you want to go into ministry? That doesn't make sense. I simply could not believe that he would turn down that kind of money, that kind of prestige, that kind of wealth to follow God. Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God doesn't make sense to the world. But God calls us to do it. In response to what Christ has done, it's the only logical action. And this raises an important question. Are you offering your whole self to God? Are you holding everything in an open palm saying, God, it's yours. And my life is yours. Do what you please. Are you holding on to some part of your life thinking that somehow it's yours to keep? Now, maybe you're thinking, hey, John, this idea of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice sounds great in theory, maybe, but but what does this look like? How do we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? I'm glad you asked. Thankfully, the Apostle Paul answers this question in verse 2. You see, verse 2 answers what verse 1 has raised as the issue. Verse 1 describes what a living sacrifice is, and verse 2 says, this is how you do it. So verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice means to avoid conformity and embrace transformation. So first, we're to avoid conforming to this world. When Paul uses the term world, he's not talking about the physical earth that we see. He's not saying that we should avoid all contact with the world. Rather, he means that we should avoid the thinking of our age. We must not conform to the worldview of our day. What's the predominant worldview today? It's secularism. It's the belief that God is not real, or if he is, he's not concerned really about this world. It's the notion that we, as humans, are the highest authority, and we should live however we want. This world's all there is, so take what you can get and live however you want. It's kind of like one of those money-blowing games. You know what I'm talking about? You enter one of those little clear plastic small almost looks like a shower and there's a fan blowing and there's dollar bills just flying everywhere and you get like 30 seconds to grab as many as you can and shove them in your pockets and whatever money you grab you can keep that's the kind of approach to life that our culture promotes and on a fundamental level it's a very self-interested and selfish philosophy Brothers and sisters, we're called to avoid conforming to this way of thinking. We're not to be like the world around us. We're called to be different. But what does that look like? A while back, I heard an interview with basketball player Bobby Jones on a podcast. Bobby Jones played under Dean Smith at the University of Chapel Hill. He went on to play in the NBA for several teams, including the Philadelphia 76ers. He was an all-star five times in his career. And he talked in this interview about his playing career. If you know anything about Bobby Jones, you know that he wasn't a conventional player. He didn't lead the league in three-point shooting. He didn't have the most amount of points or rebounds. Rather, he was an outstanding defensive player. He was known for his hustle. A while back, the 76ers unveiled statues of six players whose jerseys they had retired. Jones' statue looked a little different than the others. The other five are standing up, but in his words, his looks broken. In his statue, he is diving for a loose ball. Bobby commented that that uh, statue epitomized... Not only his basketball career, but his whole life. And in that interview, he talks about Romans 12, too. Don't be conformed to the world. He wasn't the pattern of a normal basketball player. He did the dirty work, the hustle work. And he was known as a player with character who was honest, even to the point when the ball went out of bounds, the ref would ask him, did you touch it or not? And they would trust his words. After his playing career, Many people expected him to go on to be a coach. But he turned that down so that he could invest in his children and be a father. I believe that is a wonderful picture of what God is calling you and me to today. How are you tempted to be conformed to the world? Men, is it believing the lie that if you work hard from 9 to 5, then when you get home you can live however you want to? that you have earned to watch whatever TV you want to or to go play golf on the weekends because, hey, you provided for your family. Remember, you're called to be just as engaged at home as you are at the office. Grandparents, are you conforming to this world and the way you interact with your kids and grandkids? Are you putting pressure on them to do certain things or to live in certain places or avoid potential danger because... You're living in fear. I saw a study that one of the most common reasons young people give as to why they don't believe they're called into full-time missions is because of grand- their grandparents. They feel like they'll let them down. pray that you will not conform to this world, but rather support your family in whatever calling the Lord has placed on them. Young people, how are you conforming to the world? Is it by falling for the American dream and wanting simply to make as much money as you can? Is it going with the flow of the crowd and trying to be popular? Doing things you know the Lord says you shouldn't do? I would encourage all of us to take time to reflect on how we are guilty of conforming to this world. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you your own heart, how you are conforming to the world. And then pray that God, by His grace, would give you the ability to put that to death. So we're called to avoid conforming to this world. That's the negative side of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And the positive side is to embrace transformation. Paul says we should should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. This word transform or transformation is the same word from which we get a metamorphosis. And maybe that causes you to think about a butterfly. And that's, I think, a helpful image. What is a butterfly first? It's a caterpillar. And you look at a caterpillar, there's no way that can be a butterfly. But it enters the cocoon, and after a while it comes out, it's a beautiful butterfly. In a similar way, you and I are to be transformed. And in one sense, we're transformed when we go from death to life when God saves us. But I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here because he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's ongoing transformation. Philippians 4 Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. Brothers and sisters, God has given us a tool to renew our mind. It's not some mystical thing. It's not some code to crack. No, it's His Word. The ultimate place to find what we need to renew our mind is Holy Scripture. This is why we must be people of the Word. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 19, starting at verse 7, says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise this simple. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and dripping of the honeycomb. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.16 that we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We need to soak in God's word. We need our minds renewed in the Bible. But we don't always do this. Rather, we're often to kind of be content to just drift along and remain stagnant. I hear a lot of people tell me, you know, John, I don't feel like I'm growing as a Christian, but I'm certainly not getting worse. I'm kind of just stagnant. But the problem with that is it, it doesn't work that way. Think about it like you get in a kayak into the Catawba River. If you get out, and, and that water is flowing, it's a gentle, it's gradual, it's not rapids, it's not a really fast-moving river, but if you paddle out into the middle, you don't stay in the same place. You, If you float, you float downstream. You don't float upstream. If you're going to go upstream, you've got to paddle, you've got to work hard. In a similar way, no one ever drifts towards God. We only drift away from Him. And so if you're here this morning and you would describe your Christian life as stagnant, remember, you're not really stagnant. You're drifting away from God. So instead of remaining stagnant, which is really drifting, instead, be transformed. Have your mind renewed in God's Word. Families, do this together. I hope you spend time in the Bible on your own. Come to church, come to Sunday school, come to Foundations for the Faith where you can have your mind renewed in God's Word. As we close, remember that God calls us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This means giving our entire selves to the Lord. And we do it by not conforming to the world, but instead being transformed by the renewal of our mind. When we do this, Paul says that by testing, we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's will for your life and mine, His revealed will, is for us to be more like Christ. We learn more about this, how we become like Christ, through reading and hearing God's Word. May we always be people of the Word. Let us pray.